Good morning. I'm here to this morning to share the scripture with you. So if you want to read along, you can pull out your own Bible or there's one in the underneath the pew in front of you and then turn to page 968, which is where you will find Mark 1 and then look for verses 16 to 20. Reading from the New Revised Standard Version. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in their boat, mending the nets. Immediately he called to them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men, and they followed him. When I was a young boy, um, every once in a while, on the rare occasion, I would misbehave. Uh, very, very rare occasion. Uh, my, my father might say something that I now find to be a very interesting phrase. If I did something wrong, he might say, Chris, that was uncalled for. You heard this phrase before, uncalled for? It's an interesting phrase, isn't it? Uh, the phrase so, sort of assumes that there's something or someone outside of us that is calling for us. And that what it means to be good or to live a virtuous life is not something that wells up from within, but it's something that has to be summoned or called for from the outside. One of, the deepest, uh, one of the deepest human hungers that we have is to be called for, and one of our deep human fears is that there is nobody out there who cares enough about us to call for us. In a brilliant depiction of this state of religion today, philosophical novelist Julian Barnes opens up his novel, Nothing to be Frightened of, with a very peculiar line. It says, I don't believe in God, but I miss him. What an interesting depiction of the angst of the modern American in today's world. Some of you might remember the, the late popular scientist by the name of Carl Sagan. He died in the mid-90s, and late in his life, he became interested in what was known as the search for extraterrestrial intelligence. It's another way of saying that is the search for beings out there who might be trying to communicate with us in the universe. 
Um, and so radio telescopes were set up and they listened to radio waves throughout the universe trying to see if someone would be communicating, trying to communicate with Earth. Someone once said to Carl, uh, what if we never get any messages? What if no one ever sends any messages back to us? And he said, well, it's a possibility, but it's a depressing thought to me that there might be no one in the universe trying to call us. Carl Sagan was an agnostic. Christians know that there is a being in the world, in the universe, that is calling us. And this, this being, this God, does not stand aloof from us or indifferent to us, but communicates with us, summons us, so that we are called for to live our lives in the world. And we encounter this God in the Bible who calls forth people like Abraham and Moses, the entire nation of Israel, the disciples, the, and the entire uh, church. There's a word for this notion of calling in the English language. It's the word vocation. But if you try to define vocation or if you try to, if you look it up in an English dictionary, it'll define vocation as one's profession or one's trade, especially if that profession um, is particularly noteworthy or takes a, a great deal of dedication. And so we have these things in our society called vocational schools. And you can go to a vocational school and learn a particular trade. But this way of understanding vocation has lost the essence of its meaning. The word comes from the Latin vocare, which means to call, to call. Uh, and so our vocation is not simply the profession that we choose. It's our lifelong response to God's call in every aspect of our lives. At Mount O, this is a really important value because we understand that, uh, that, that we find our deep sense of purpose when we live beyond ourselves. So it's important for our own spiritual health, but also for our witness to the world and our contribution to the common good of society. Just as a reminder, we're concluding today a three-week series where we're kind of celebrating some aspects of the life of our church. We looked at lifelong learning, meaningful relationships, and now calling and vocation. And when we choose to live into these values, we uh, do well to fulfill our mission as a congregation to invite people to experience experience Jesus Christ and become his passionate followers. And one of my favorite call stories from the Bible is this story that was read um, a moment ago and that Jim taught about with our children, the story of the calling of the first disciples in the gospel of Mark. It is so simple and so profound in so many ways. So early in this gospel, right in the first chapter, the men who were about to become Jesus' followers, these four guys, Peter and his brother Andrew, first of all, these two, they owned a home. Peter, Simon and Andrew, they owned a home. They were settled. So were James and John. They were settled in their lives. Uh, we know that Peter had a mother-in-law who lived with them, and there were probably other members of the family who lived with them. And when we meet them, they're casting their nets into the sea because they were fishermen. James and his brother John were also sitting in a fishing boat with their father Zebedee. 
They were mending their nets because they were fishermen also. Fishing was the family business. The smell of fish was permanently on their hands. The smell of the sea came with every breath that they had breathed their entire lives. It's what they knew. It was was what they lived every day, year after year. And then out of nowhere, this um, ordinary day, This emerging rabbi named Jesus comes by and says, follow me. And we're told that they drop everything and they follow him. Where are they going? How are they going to pay their bills? What about their jobs? What about their families and old man Zebedee that they left behind in the boat? The way Mark has written this story, it seems that these Four people don't have any answers to these very reasonable questions. And to be clear, they didn't choose to follow Jesus because they had been converted as penitent sinners. That comes later. They know, nor do they uh, understand who Jesus is as far as being the incarnation of God. They don't know who he is. That comes way later. We can't even say that they have a clue of where following Jesus will lead them. There's only one thing we have, which is a promise that Jesus gives to them. And the promise is that he will change them, that he will transform them from being fishermen to being fishers of men and women. Well, what does that mean? Have you ever stopped to think about what that means? What does it mean to be fishers of people? Many people think that it means to to be a fisher of women and men means that we are supposed to convert people to Christianity. And that's what it means to be a fisher of people. We convert people to Christianity. While I don't deny that, that's part of how we apply the text, it's worth noting that it's not at all mentioned here in the text. It's not what Jesus says. Um, The fact is that Jesus doesn't define for us what it means to be a fisher of people. Instead, he goes on to announce and teach and talk about and invite people into the kingdom of God. The reality of, of God's abundance and love made available to us in Jesus Christ. And so the work of being fishers of people included talking about Jesus and sharing his message of love. It also included healing people who were sick and casting out evil and comforting people who were downcast, feeding people who were hungry. It also included actually fishing and making tables and telling stories and finally dying. This was all of what it meant to be fishers of people. It was to live ordinary life in the extraordinary reality of God's kingdom made available to us in Jesus Christ. It's about joining in God's project of making all things new. So what does that mean for our vocation, our calling? The late Presbyterian minister, Frederick Buechner, he uh, is probably most famous for this quote, the place God calls us, the place God calls you is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. In our world today, we're, we're, we don't really consider the second part too much. 
we're encouraged to pursue that which we enjoy and that which is, makes us happy. Just do what you know, will help you to accumulate as much as possible. Forget about the hunger of the world part. But we're, we understand that we're made for a purpose greater than ourselves as human beings, as Christians we understand this. And so it's only when a place of our deep gladness actually meets the world's hunger that we find that intersection, that calling in our lives. I heard one person recently who sort of riffed off this quote to say that for her, she said, my, um, my calling is the place not where my deep gladness meets the world's great need, but where my deep sadness meets the world's great need. And for her, her deep sadness was that people die of cancer, including her mother. And so she gave her entire career and life's work to cancer research because she sensed a call in that intersection of that place of deep passion and the world's need and hunger. What we all want is to make a difference with our lives, even in some small way. We want to make a difference in the lives of others. We want to know that in the great sea of human life that we have done something to help. We want to do more than just catch more fish, make more deals, earn more promotions. We want to catch people who are falling into despair, falling into holes that they cannot get out of, falling into lostness and hurt. We want our lives to matter. Maybe you make a difference in the life of a child what a wonderful way to spend a life, raising the next generation with virtues worthy of their lives. Maybe you make a difference with your colleagues at work. People talk about how job satisfaction has, much, has less to do with the work that we're doing and so much more to do with the people that we work with. Maybe you wanna make a difference simply by doing your work in communion with Jesus, whether that's volunteer or paid work because, you know, sometimes that's enough. Or maybe you just want to make a difference by caring about someone or something important, taking up a cause that matters to you and burdens you. Whatever it is, I don't think you'd be sitting in church this morning if you didn't want to make a difference with your life. People who come to church are the kinds of people who would prefer their obituaries to read this man, this woman made a difference in the lives of others. And at this point in Mark's gospel, that's all we're promised. The promise comes at a cost we have to be willing to follow. And that leads to the essence of this text about vocation for Christians. Our vocation is always a call to surrender. Today is Christ the King Sunday where we remember that the one who uh, was risen from the grave is the one who sits at the right hand of God the Father and reigns over all uh, creation. And so we surrender to the kingship of Jesus Christ who leads us. And when we do that, that's actually when we find our true vocation, the, 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 the purpose that God made us for. And that means we have to leave the familiar life behind, which we've always known, just like those disciples, leaving behind their familiar business and their families to follow in with questions that they had no answers to. Can you imagine how small your life would be if you still lived in your parents' house? I mean, 
It was familiar. It was, it was wonderful. But the adventure began when you took everything you gained from growing up in your parents' home and you set out on the journey, the adventure that was called your life. And as the maturity began, so it continues. Uh, life is a constant process of, of renewal, a constant process of following Jesus who is always leading us to new places, to new people, to new relationships, to new workplaces, to new communities. And along the way, we're transformed into those who grow in the skill of making a difference with our lives. Before the Reformation, the Reformation is that great event that happened in the 16th century when the Protestant church uh, formed and due to the corruption that was going on in the church and the confronting of that corruption lead, led to a movement and all, I'm not going to go into all that history today but prior to the Reformation um, this idea of vocation or a calling was reserved for people who worked for the church. So the priests were called, other, everyone else they just had jobs, right? And, and what the great reformers, Martin Luther and, um, and uh, John Calvin, had a real issue with that. Um, and, and we can read this text through the lens of that history to say, well, it seems as if God is calling people away from, you know, mundane temporal things like fishing to go do eternal things like evangelizing. But what the reformers Calvin and Luther understood was that God calls every person to follow Jesus in all spheres of society. To be a follower of Jesus is to be called into God's mission in the world. Vocation is not just for people who work for the church. And all of this was wrapped up in the teaching that was called the priesthood of all believers. You're a believer, you're a priest. You know what a priest does is a priest mediates between heaven and earth. God calls us to our life work and to a life of service in everything we do. And so when we do the laundry and when we do the dishes and when we mow the lawn and when we go, go to work and when we teach classes and we do all of this in the name of Jesus, we are acting as priests in the world. We are mediators between a, a kingdom, a, a community of shalom, a reality of shalom, and a broken world of violence. And that's how we seek to be light in a dark world, to point to that, that reality. John Calvin had really high expectations um, that Christians would actively seek the welfare of others in the community of Geneva. This is Calvin's Geneva. And that they would do this, that the church would do this through education, health care, and governance. At one point, John Calvin dispatched his elders to inspect fireplaces for safety in the community. Just people just go out and inspect their, all the neighbors' fireplaces for safety. Um, and, and there was a the theology behind that. Can you imagine um, if I asked for reports from our elders on the session uh, to give a report on their activities for the community's welfare? I don't think we would get out of there before midnight. 
there would be so much to report because our elders and you as a congregation are involved in so many activities in the world and all of this matters so much to God. Medicine, law, homeless ministry, civil service, education, real estate, construction, architecture, finance, ethics committees, nonprofits, environmental justice, hospital service, coaching, baseball, church ministries, you name it. So what is your calling in the world? What is the place where you seek to make a difference in the name of Jesus? What is your deep gladness or sadness and where does that intersect with the world's need? It's striking to me that in the Bible, names matter. Jesus didn't just call two guys fishing. He called Simon and Andrew. And then he called James and John. They had a father named Zebedee. Each one of them made uniquely in the image of God. Each one formed in their mother's womb. Each one bringing their own experiences, their family backgrounds, their worldviews, their hopes, their fears, their interests, their weaknesses. We ought to hear our names when we read that story because he calls you in the same way. Jim, Nancy, Lonnie, John, Dennis, Brian, Mary, Dan, Pauline, Michael, follow me. If you're a physician or you're a nurse, Maybe Jesus says to you, come follow me and I will make you heal broken hearts. If you're an architect or a builder, maybe he says, follow me and I will make you build the kingdom of heaven. If you're a real estate agent, maybe he says, follow me and you will help people find their home in God. And so discerning our vocation isn't a quest for self-fulfillment. Although many experience deep satisfaction when we surrender our work to God. But God's call often requires sacrifice and discomfort. Sometimes it means going to places we'd rather not go. Abraham got up and went, dragging Sarah with him. Mary took on a role that brought great joy, but also a whole lot of suffering and sorrow. And in today's world, we have so many options for how we use our time, how we develop our careers, how we volunteer, and so many voices speaking into our heads that this notion of sacrificing in order to make great something else, this is not very popular notion. When the call comes, who, whom will I send? Who will go for us? We'd rather not hear it. I've got my own agenda. Thank you very much. And the result then is that poor schools have high teacher turnover rates. Inner city hospitals um, are understaffed. Small churches in rural areas struggle to find pastors. And this is where the church is meant to step in. The community of faith is called to support people who are discerning their vocations in the world and support that. The 30-something-year-old woman who's called to, to, to teach a middle school classroom full of high hormones and all kinds of energy would welcome some encouragement and maybe a little child care from time to time. 
We can offer prayerful support and a listening ear for a young man who has to choose between doing a research fellowship or ministering with HIV and AIDS patients in Africa. What a difficult decision that would be. Where does the church step in in that time? What about uh, a supportive church making a big difference for the family who's trying to start a new business or open up a restaurant that will uniquely serve the under-resourced? Can you imagine if we increasingly committed ourselves as a community to being a community that helped people discover their vocations as Christians in the world? What a difference our world would be. And then to deploy those. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fish for people. That's what he's talking about. It's about all of creation flourishing under this great message of God's love in Jesus Christ. So whatever it is that you're called to, whatever is your vocation, God has given you that gift. It may or may not be your job, but it is the place where your deep passion intersects with the world's need. And if Jesus is the one who's making that call, it is always first and foremost a call to follow him, to surrender to him. All we're asked to do then is to have faith, to have faith in the one who calls us and who loves us enough to never leave us alone in this great big universe. Let's pray. God, thank you for reminding us that none of us is uncalled for. You have called each of us by name in Jesus Christ. Thank you for calling us to follow you, for making even us ordinary people like Simon and Andrew, James and John, making us fishers of people. Help us to hear your call and to say yes, that we may surrender to your will and have the capacity to make a difference. Help us to live in the place where our deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet, even when our circumstances are far from glad keep our ears attuned to the voice of our good shepherd, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.